Hi, you're listening to Under the Radar. Between the main episodes where we feature our big band or artist interviews is this space, where I shed some light about the making of the current episode, usually featured in a particular month. In many episodes, we usually read a review or email we might have received from you, the listener. We then invite a guest, someone who's listened to the episode, written as a review, to come on the show to chat about the episode. So regular listeners will know that our last three mini-episodes in this season are slightly out of sync with their companion episodes. If you're a newcomer, just look up the Artist Interview episode in our podcast feed. And if you're interested in being a guest, please write us a review you and Apple Podcasts, I'm always keen on getting a real fan of a band or an artist on the podcast to chat. So if that's you, email me at celine.teoblocky at undertheradarmag.com. Details are in our show notes. But also, if you want to do something fun, send me a voice message on undertheradarpodcast.com. You'll see the mic icon, click it, record a message, and I'll play it on the show. I'm also on Instagram at Celine Teoblocky and at UTR Podcasts. Today we're talking about our Shushu episode with Jamie Stewart. The tape I want to play is of a question that I like to post to my guests, but I didn't get a chance to use this tape on the show. Anyway, here it is. What was it like for you making Ono compared to your previous albums? Oh, um, this is the first time since we started the band that I have been home for so long. Mm -hmm. I have never had such a long time to work on music without being interrupted by you know, no re rehearsal or you know getting on a plane or something. I love to play, but I really, really love being in the studio. Even though it was a difficult time with the outside world, you know, one of the, as we noted, one of the most difficult times in human history, mm -hmm. I think because I knew that I was going to be able to work on it and not have to stop or not have to get nervous about being on tour or be distracted by it, that it was, this is going to sound all wrong, but it was the case. It was sort of odd, oddly relaxed. Like there was so much more time to do it. And, and I think because of that, I'm not a good mix engineer at all, but I thought, well, I've got this time and I really want to try to be a better mix engineer. So the one way to do it is, well, I'll just try and mix the most complicated record we've ever done myself, <laughs> not having the skills and absolutely not up to the task. A nicer way to put it is I, I had the chance to be more intimate with it because it was all day, every day for a year. But I got to be better friends with this record. He got to be better friends with the record. I think this might be the case for many a band or artist during the pandemic, but what a charming way of putting it. Okay, and now we read a review. So I've got this one. It's titled, Great Podcast, Love the Shushu Episode. And it reads, It's a super warm interview with a really thorough deep dive on the band's history and the process of producing their new record. The flow of the storytelling with the conversation was really excellent. Just started listening recently. Excited to check out more from Saliva Doom Patrol. <laughs> uh, what a great name. And so we have here today, Saliva Doom Patrol. My name is Alex Olive. I am a electronic musician and visual artist living in Oakland, California. I am on the show today because I really love Shushu and I really enjoyed your episode about Shushu. I had been playing music for a while, but never anything like coherent um, or dedicated to a specific practice. But 
right as I was getting into Shushu, I was also like learning how to use Ableton and getting into electronic music production. So it was a nice dovetail. I think that there are a few songwriters who are exploring such bleak subject matter with such earnestness and heart. (laughs) And also just Jamie as a cultural figure, you know, somebody who goes on podcasts and does interviews and promotes records and stuff just seems like a very sweet person. And I think that combination of extremely bleak music and a very pleasant person is it's always nice to see. <laughs> yeah, you know what? It sort of like made me think when you said that about all those pop acts that sing all these sickly sweet songs and then you hear the <laughs> horror stories about how they're such terrible people to work with in person. <laughs> yeah, there's like some necessary dark component and it's just a matter of like where you put it whether you're the dark component or your work is. (laughs) Okay, so what is it about the episode that resonated with you? I mean, in part, it's kind of very related to what we were just talking about. I feel like a thorough deep dive on the early stages of that band is like a necessary, complicated and thorny and bleak sort of (laughs) discussion. But within those bleak bits and beyond those bleak bits... Uh, it was just such a, a warm and friendly sort of interview. Like it was, uh, while also being very thorough, it just felt very natural, very congenial in a way that was like a real treat to listen to. It was just uh, a very sweet episode of podcasting. When Alex said that, it made me blush. <laughs> and yes, that's right. That's why I do the mini episode so that people can come on and tell me how wonderful I am and the podcast is. <laughs> uh, anybody who feels the need to want to come on the show and say not so great things about me and be critical, you're also welcome. But you do have to write a review on Apple Podcasts um, and then you can come. Being a longtime fan... Were there things that were discussed in this episode that illuminated Shushu's music for you? Having definitely researched a lot about the past of the band and like all the different album cycles and stuff, it was really nice to hear detailed descriptions of like the process of recording the new record, which was very interesting because it seems technically and sort of logistically a feat to pull off the sort of album of duets. <laughs> and it was it was interesting to hear how that played out. I think also... One of the things that really struck me was there was an anecdote where Jamie talks about the sort of like lesson that his father taught him about music being to always take things too far. That was really satisfying to hear because that is so much what I've learned from Shushu (laughs) is like, if you take things just, just over the limit, then you get something that is singular and vital. (laughs) Yeah. So you're a musician as well. Mm-hmm. Is there a song or a example that you can zone in in your own work and your own practice where you're like, I don't know if I want to go there, but then my patron say, said, do it. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely. I'm currently working on a record that will hopefully be out uh, before the end of the year. And the only thing that I have up from it is a uh, mm-hmm. single mm-hmm. currently. And I think that's a pretty good example because it is just a very bleak sort of pop Mm. song that revolves around a section of just really pounding rhythmic noise that I was like, should this be the centerpiece of this song? Uh, Yes, absolutely. I I feel like the fact that it's a question makes it a definite answer. (laughs) And there's a bunch of 
aggressive vocals and noise and stuff that I added to the back end of it too, that I felt really conflicted about. Cause I was like, does this, is this driving the point home or is this just like catharsis or is this just, I don't know, a tantrum. <laughs> and there's something about all of those ideas that make me think like, oh, well, no, maybe, maybe this is necessary. <laughs> this is what I'm trying to get out. How long have you been a musician? started playing guitar when I was like 13 because I liked, you know, Green Day and various <laughs> pop punk bands. Um, and then as I got older, I started getting more into noisy and otherwise experimental music and have sort of settled into a little area of electronic music and noise music and a lot of like extreme metal, but that's ne not necessarily <laughs> reflected in my work a lot. <laughs> I think when I first looking at everybody that I had to see who to pick for the show, I saw you had a band cam and I just clicked it, mm -hmm. but I didn't have a chance to like listen to it. But from like that moment that I listened to it, I thought, oh, this is very dreamy. <laughs> Am I right? Uh, maybe I didn't get to the parts of the song that were a little bit more metally. <laughs> oh, there's there's a big shift where there's okay. like a bunch of noise stuff that comes in later on, but it is extremely dreamy at the beginning. I want a sort of like dissociated, dreamy sort of affect for the, the record I'm working on. Another point early on where Jamie talks about receiving a drum machine from their father yeah. and it opening them up spiritually. That is one of the most <laughs> relatable statements about playing music that I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Just like, oh yeah, a drum machine can do that. A drum machine can change your life. <laughs> <laughs> you also mentioned that you're a transgender woman. That experience is fundamentally in Shushu's work in certain songs over the years you've said has been really helpful to you to kind of navigate through this time in your life for you. Is there a song where when you were going through, you know, I mean, I'm sure it's something that you're always going through, right? <laughs> there's no stop end to it. But there's been like a return of phrase in a song where you're like, you hear and you're like, oh, I know what he's talking about. He's talking about me. Yeah, absolutely. Very specifically, there is a song on First Shushu Record called Dr. Troll. Mm -hmm. That is, I think, very explicitly about gender dysphoria. And there is a line about talking to a four-year-old about gender. I think it's the preschool students ask her what she is. She thinks, I don't know. She says, what do you think? <laughs> Which I absolutely adore. And that whole song is, I think, really captures something very sort of desolate about trans experience that is, by the end of the song, turned into something that is very bittersweet and sort of transcendent feeling. Also, funny enough, I have a lot of gender feelings about the song Apple for a Brain, oh. even though it's just about Sanrio characters. <laughs> yeah, tell me more about that. Yeah, it's one of my favorite Shushu songs. Like a lot of my accounts on like various video gaming devices and things is Apple for a Brain. <laughs> uh, just because there's something about the production of that song 
the like it's just so zany and colorful and like I don't know how to describe it. It's just like everything goes into that song. There's like, you know, like leg slapping percussion sounds and all these like sort of atonal like little bloops and stuff. It just feels very that's the way that I conceive of myself, I think, as like a sort of outside of of narratives about what a person is or mm-hmm. what gender means or like any sort of constrictive thing. I am just a little ball of energy. Uh, looking at various I have a bunch of plushies over yeah. there. I feel like it's 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 a similar <laughs> feeling to being like Oh, this like Yoshi plush or this Waddle Dew plush, that's me for sure. To like writing a whole song about like uh, being Panned Apple or whichever <laughs> Sanrio character. <laughs> <laughs> a little twin stars when I was a kid. I had it like on stationery. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. I wish more people like cared about stationery and got nice stationery and like with cute stuff on it and wrote letters to each other. I feel like it's a it's a beautiful thing. Oh my god. I mean like I still use paper. I have a notebook for every day. It's interesting to me that everything's done over the mm-hmm. phone that there's no kind of value in that anymore and people are just like you save the trees but I'm like you know if you're thinking about ways to save the world using paper (laughs) isn't so bad compared to like you know just like totally fucking up the climate (laughs) absolutely yeah all that data gets processed somewhere and it's at great expense to the environment outside of the whole environmental aspect I feel like personally if I put something in my phone, it becomes like a mass, mm. part of a mass of homogenized information that I quickly forget. Yeah, but what also <laughs> happens is that I feel like if I put something in my phone, I never know which Russian bot is actually tracking me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bit paranoid. Oh, yeah. You go to the gym, there's an app for that. I was like, why the hell do I have to use the app for the gym? Why do they need to know how many times <laughs> I go to the gym? It's like, then they're going to try and make sense of what I eat so that they can sell me stuff that they want me to. <laughs> so, like. that is deeply relatable i went to target the other day to buy a light bulb to replace the one that had gone out in my bathroom and all the light bulbs were like now with bluetooth technology <laughs> i'm like what are you talking about these are light bulbs like 80 percent had the bluetooth stuff i was like this is surveillance technology. It so is, right? It's like, why do you need <laughs> a refrigerator that talks to you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is incredibly confusing. <laughs> I just like, what is the appeal? Yes. Yeah, like, why do I need to watch TV on my fridge, first of all? Yeah. Because if I'm in the kitchen, I'm probably cooking, you know, it's like, okay, that, that doesn't make sense. And like, why do I need this thing to tell me that I need to get more milk? It's like, <laughs> I'm in a- I'm a, like a human being. I can write down on a piece of paper, I need to get milk. Or when I'm in the supermarket, I'll get milk. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but we like super digress. Um, <laughs> so um, with everything that's going on for you as a trans person, mm. did you ever listen to our episode on Ezra Furman? No, but I did see that. And I was like, I got to check that out. Yeah, we've done a couple of interesting interviews with Ezra and one for one outside of the podcast with KEXP. And Ezra talking about now being a mom. And when I first met, she was still identifying as male. And then through the years, I've been 
interviewing her and now you know she's this gorgeous girl mm-hmm. and you know and a mom so i feel really hopeful for like the way the world is going mm. um but at the same time like being in america you know with like the don't say gay bill in florida and like the slew of like anti-trans bills in texas yeah i mean how are you kind of like navigating through it all it's tricky it's a it's a day-to-day process I think it is very scary and I worry immensely for all the kids who are the immediate subjects of this sort of violence and the larger implications of what could happen to everybody who's trans and their rights. Mm. And I think most days I feel extremely angry about it. And I think that there is a degree to which there is a limit to what is productive to do with that (laughs) Um, Mm. that I think my brain can sort of like shut down after a certain point and be like okay let's compartmentalize this put it away and then you know work towards whatever it is (laughs) that Mm. can be done immediately Um, whether that's for trans people in general or for me getting to the end of the day but um it's it's incredibly scary and I think incredibly sort of frustrating the ways in which these great strides are being made over mm-hmm. trans rights and trans people as dignified members of the world. <laughs> and mm. while the sort of like popular discourse around trans people is for like proponents of trans rights who are cis mm-hmm. is generally like, oh, well, pronouns it's good we got it we did the pronouns thing (laughs) while also like really horrifying political upheaval is happening yeah it's it's worrisome do you feel safe in somewhere like oakland i mean like you know like san francisco is pretty progressive i think generally speaking i have felt very lucky to be where i'm at Mm. because san francisco and the greater bay area is such a more generally accepting and also a place where because of that there are a bunch of queer and trans people Mm. and so there is all these possibilities even in the face of bleakness for community and uh, connection but (laughs) I think the tenor of things the way things are going and the sort of dissemination of very extreme ideas about trans and queer people into very populist modes of thinking there's this Mm. whole groomer rhetoric that's going around that's very popular with people who are like average people you know like people who aren't even like super on the far right bandwagon and Mm. because i know that that sort of thing these sorts of like transphobic and otherwise you know queerphobic rhetoric are going around uh i am sort of like constantly waiting for the other shoe to drop and for someone to say some shit to me in public (laughs) that is going to be uh i don't know how i'm gonna react to that (laughs) yeah when did you sort of come out as trans and is it something that you explore in your music? Uh, I think less so in my music. Mm. I like came out as non-binary when I was, I think, 18 or 19. Mm. And it was something that I didn't know what to do with. And I don't think a lot of people in the town that I grew up in knew what to do Mm. with. And then after a certain point, I was like, I felt that this being in this sort of in-between state of not really doing anything about how I felt about my gender was sort of untenable. So four years ago, I started actually like medically and socially transitioning 
I think that my music relates to it in a certain sense of just like, I'm writing a lot about intersubjectivity and power and sort of how people conceive of themselves. Mm. Well, that's certainly my relationship to that, those ideas is directly influenced by being trans. I think like mm. my intent is to sort of get at something more generalized. Well, most people, I think, understand that feeling of being an outsider, not quite belonging, not knowing where the spaces that are safe for us to be. Yeah. And I feel like going back to the episode and like Shushu's music, like a song like Saint Dymphna. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right? It's like, <laughs> like that's why I go back to him, like being this kind of patron saint. I feel like Jamie's this incredible way of like, you know, people who are going through difficult periods, like he was talking about the goth, how their bodies are changing and they're like goth runaways, and which mm-hmm. like, I guess there's parallels with what you're talking about as well. For him to just kind of really zone in on this kind of pain and growth of people in the margins and kind of mm-hmm. fold them and bring them in and in a way because he's saying well I I see you Mm -hmm. and I wrote this beautiful song that is about this experience that for me is like one of the highlights for the album as much as I love Rumpus Room (laughs) (laughs) it is such a absolutely bonkers song it's so great but yeah no Saint Dymphna is definitely I think probably my favorite track on that album um yeah it's it's absolutely gorgeous it's like huge and sweeping in a way that like Shushu isn't always and then there's that saxophone solo just remarkable every time there's a saxophone solo in a shushu song it's like it ends up being one of my favorites <laughs> <laughs> um what's your favorite shushu album probably a promise mm. for reasons that are like really hard to pin down there's like a some sort of secret sauce on that album first of all the opening sequence of sad pony gorilla girl apostat commander and walnut house <laughs> is just like absolutely overwhelming and so so good there's the fast car cover yeah. i grew up listening to tracy chapman on the radio constantly as a kid so that was like <laughs> a total just smack over the head with like all sorts of yeah. old emotions it's got i think the highest highs for me of shushu records but also there is something captured in the sort of songwriting and production of that record that I think really speaks to the sort of loneliness and desperation that I was talking about earlier. There's like, on all the songs, you can hear like a lot mm. of room tone mm. in a way that like just puts me right back in every single like terrible, like dead end living situation mm. I've ever been in. I'm like, it is a, a sort of sense memory that just like lands so perfectly with the emotional tenor of that that album that it's just, it feels very, very personal um, in a way that feels like it's been given just to me <laughs> or something. Yeah, yeah. That's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. For this, the most recent album, mm-hmm. did you feel like it was quite a bit of a departure from their previous work he's been doing these duets with people over the years but not a whole album as such right yeah i was terrifically excited because one of my favorite shushu songs is smear the queen Mm -hmm. with carla bozulik and that is just a terrific song and i think like jamie's voice is somebody else's voice always just hits for me (laughs) and there's so many guests on oh no who i absolutely adore like owen pallet or chelsea Mm -hmm. wolf 
I was really excited and I do feel that it is like a huge departure, even though there are a lot of bits of that album that are clearly like the song with Owen Pallet, like mm. the lyrical thing is like very much a classic like shushu song about having a difficult family life mm. or like any of the other litany of post-punk noise adjacent songs on that album. Ostensibly, that's regular shushu stuff, but also like there is a sort of, I don't know, a very low-key sort of quietness. Mm. It feels like almost experimental adult contemporary or something. <laughs> There's like a lot more piano than there typically is on a shushu record. Uh, it is a lot more lush. There are big sweeping choruses, yeah. like the one in St. Dymphna or the one in Sadness Kalita. Yeah. Yeah, it just feels incredibly lush in a way that I don't typically associate with shushu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you just touch on just about everything that, you know, that I kind of liked about it. And so, like, if I was a newcomer, I am still quite a newcomer. You know, I haven't gone deep and deep dive into... Um, and really listen to some of the more frightening stuff. Um, <laughs> but so now you know more or less how much of the music that I know because there's a whole podcast episode about it. <laughs> like if you were giving me advice of where to go next, what would you say? I think a good next step may be Always, which is just a like really classic. Most of the songs are like very straightforward, but still like distinctly a shushu thing mm -hmm. and it has this sort of like bright synthetic sort of gay club music <laughs> aesthetic to it even though a lot of the songs are also extremely not mm. that but there's just like this permeating vibe of just like loud kick drums zany synth sounds i think that would be a good recommendation but as far as the frightening ones go i think uh the record girl with basket of fruit is like yeah. it's top notch really like okay so that yeah. is the really frightening one for me because um yeah, because yeah. I was like, ah, <laughs> how do you listen to this? Yeah. So, but just because you told me to, Alex, I am going to <laughs> listen to it because also I asked. Um, so <laughs> I'm going to listen to it and report back to you uh, how, how, how it hit me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, please do. Um, it is definitely a frightening one. I did not know how to... Even though, like, Shushu is, as you said in the episode, a, like, famously difficult band, like, I think that that is a vast musical departure where, like, most of it, there's, like, no melody. It is just, like, distorted drums <laughs> layered over each other and then Jamie just going completely crazy on the mic. But there is like a weird sort of like internal logic to it all um, and a sort of like consistent ideas around like demonic possession as like political dispossession and stuff uh, that made it feel like every time I listen to it again, I feel a sort of like, like I, I notice new things and my sort of sense of what it is is, is deepened.
I first actually started listening to Shushu when I was like a sophomore in high school. I got into them because I was really into Los Campesinos. Gareth from Los Campesinos had spoken very highly of Shushu's songwriting. So I was like, oh, I'll check this out. And I was very unprepared, I think, (laughs) for how noisy and obtuse it was going to be. But on a whim, six or so years later, I ended up listening to Knife Play again. And there's something about songwriting on those early Shushu records, as well as the sort of use of noise and like really caustic rhythmic components that just spoke to me very clearly about my life and about like my friends' lives. The sort of like loneliness and desperation that permeates their work that also feels transformative to listen to instead of just a, a bummer. They became a thing of an influence where I felt that a certain degree of unpleasantness in art is not just like a nice extra flavor or something, but is like kind of a necessary component to make art transformative. And on that note, I want to thank my lovely guest, Alex Olive, for coming on the show and sharing her thoughts on Shushu and being so gracious about her own experience um, as a trans person um, and also as a musician and a fan. I hope you've all enjoyed this bite-sized episode. Please follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, apps like Overcast and Podchaser, wherever you get your podcasts. We're in between seasons right now, so if you want to be the first to find out about our Season 3 launch, you know what to do. Follow us. I'm going to play Alex Single to take us out. But first, here is where you can reach her if you've taken a liking to her or her music. And how could you not? Well, first of all, thank you for having me on the show. It was really my pleasure. This is a lot of fun. (laughs) People can find me at at Olive Craving on pretty much any social. And then my band camp is alexolive.bandcamp.com. I have a single out called Lavender Pink and Red that is from an album called Here Are My Tears of Joy that should be out this year, hopefully. Um, nice. And then I'm planning on uh, releasing another single next month. So keep an eye out for that, everybody. <laughs> That's so cool. We will definitely do that. Any last thoughts you might have i would encourage people to you know uh speak up get out in the street for trans people thank you so much (laughs) you're so tickled (laughs) 